0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Josh and Jason Monday Christian and Conspiracy podcast show. I am your host, Josh Monday. If you don't know me, I'm a Christian rapper, devoted husband, father, and Army veteran. And I'd like to introduce you to my co-host. He's a Christian, devoted husband, and father, my brother, Jason Monday. What's going on, brother?
1: Good morning. Feeling a lot better than last time, so uh, thank God. Uh, (laughs) God bless everybody. And uh, we're going to dive into some subjects today that, uh, that are recent and also, I feel like, prophecy. Big time prophecy. They are everyone. It's a big Bible prophecy, and I wanted to talk about it. But uh, yeah, well, last time Ali was a great guest and and very informative. Super, super, uh, super. Uh, it was uh, popular too. It was pretty popular. So so that's th- thank you very much for coming on.
2: Yeah, I'm really happy to be here, guys. Look forward to our conversation this morning.
0: Yes. So yeah, we have the uh, creator of Think Again Productions. And amazing and awesome researcher, Ali Saeedaten. Uh, Thank you again for a second show. How's it going, Ali?
2: Very good. Very good. Very excited.
0: <laughs> Same here. Uh, so today we're going to be going over the final government, the Antichrist, the serpent seed, and how UFOs connect to this, okay? First yeah. off, I'd like to give a shout out to Chris Spencer and Prosthetic Monkey. You guys gave us uh, some comments on our last show. Uh, on um, Spotify and Apple. Those are the ones I cannot uh, respond back. So I'd like to respond back verbally here. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you guys listening. We're going to go over uh, my verses for the show. Uh, It's going to be Revelation 13 verses one through six. And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and 10 horns and upon his horns, 10 crowns and upon his heads, the name of blasphemy. And the beast, which I saw was like Uh, unto a leopard and his feet were as the feet of a bear and his mouth as the mouth of a lion and the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority and i saw one of the heads as it were wounded to death and his deadly wound was healed and all the world wandered after the beast and they worshiped the dragon which gave unto the beast and they worshiped the beast saying who is like unto the beast who was able to make war with him and there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and power was given unto him to continue forty-two months. And he opened his mouth and blasphemy against God, to blasphemy His name and His tabernacle, and them that dwell in heaven. So I thought it was interesting that um, part of this. Actually, if you uh, if you guys look at the UN, um, they actually have a mural or a or statue of this in the in the front of their building. It's a uh, it's a beast. Uh, that was that saw like into a leopard. His feet is like the feet of a bear. His mouth, the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him his power. There's like a a, a statue in front of the UN like that. I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, I think that's a good verse to go with. But um, Ali, I'll uh, I'll let you go ahead and take over and uh, and kind of and kind of go for where you want to go with it. We have questions for you, and um, you know if you want to just okay, well, let's, let's
2: start where you where you took us here in Revelation 13. So when you look at the Bible, the, um, one thing I've noticed is that, so in the, the old Testament, which is constantly referenced by John here, uh, because the new Testament was literally being written, you know, and taking form scripture when Peter, John, Jude, these guys were just receiving revelation from the Holy spirit to do their writings. And for them being Jewish, the old Testament was like the scripture that existed that was complete. And so they referenced it all the time. So did Jesus extensively. And so the book of revelation, um, looking back into an imagery system, that's all been set up. So when you look at the old Testament, the way the Jewish canon divided it, the prophets and the historical books were in one category. So the, the they had divided the scriptures into three categories. The first one was the five books of Moses, the Torah. The second one, had the prophetic books and the historical books. The idea was that God says and God does. So God says what he's gonna do, then he does it on the stage of history. And then the historical books recorded. It. So it's like God says and God does. And then there was a third section, it was called neveim The third section was, was, was wisdom writings and books. It just means books. And Daniel was in that section. And you think, well, why would Daniel separate from all the other prophetic writings? Because when you look at all the prophetic writings, all the prophets of Israel, they prophesy about the future of Israel. Then and they cast yes, there's problems and there's wars, but ultimately it's a glorious future where Israel is led into a utopia by God and by the <laughs> and and a new age of history comes uh, the kingdom uh, of uh, the Messianic kingdom. When you look at the book of Daniel, it's the only book that's not written in Hebrew. Most of the book of Daniel is written in Aramaic, which was the international language of diplomacy at the time of prophet Daniel. So if that the different time. empires like what?
1: There's a Gentile language. It's, it's, it's the only book that's like you say, yeah, it's in Gentile, uh, Gentile language. That's, it's kind of weird that, 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 that you bring that up. That's, that's a cool, not a lot of people know that. So that's really a cool, that's a cool uh, 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 tidbit right there. Good job, man.
2: That's it's awesome. Totally. And then <laughs> there's this, An insight into the subject matter of the book. So the book is written in the language, the international language of the time that today, the international language is English. If two foreign dignitaries meet each other that don't speak each other's language, they will speak in English. And so English is the language uh, where laws, uh, international agreements may be written in and things like that. Before that it was French before the British Empire took off, Napoleon you know, was big and, and it was French. So um, there was always been a language and by the time of Daniel was Aramaic. And so the king of Assyria and Egypt wanted to sign something together. That was the language. So, so God is speaking to the world of empire in the book of Daniel. It's what differentiates the book of Daniel from the other prophets. The book of Daniel doesn't tell the story of Israel as much. That's not the focus of the book of Daniel. It tells this, the rise and fall of worldly empires. And that's why it's written in the language of the Gentile empires, right? So that's what kind of differentiates the book of Daniel from the other, and that's why it's not put in the same section. Interesting. And, wow. Yeah. And when it kind of, um, you look at the book of Daniel and uh, the um, everyone knows, uh, or, or, or most, a lot of people know that, um, at the very beginning of the book of Daniel, the king of Babylon uh, has a dream, a prophetic dream of a statue uh, that head of gold, you know silver, arms of silver and chest of silver, um, stomach of bronze and thighs of bronze, as well as um, legs of iron um, and, and, and feet of clay and a stone that is removed from a mountain not by human hand comes and hits the feet of clay and the entire statue collapses and turns into dust and a great wind comes and blows it away. And none of it is left other than the pebble. And then the pebble fills the whole earth becomes huge and fills the whole earth. And Daniel receives a vision from God explaining what this dream really means. It's in the language of imagery. You know, it's like talking, when you have a dream, when I have a dream, God then gives us the interpretation, what does that dream mean? And there's imagery involved. So here, um, Daniel, after he receives uh, the vision from God, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, before he even reveals the meaning of the dream, he says, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. He changes times and seasons, he removes kings and installs kings. He changes times and seasons, removes kings and installs kings. Hmm. This is the heart of the matter. Um, And so he says, you know, this is the sequence of worldly empires. He tells them this is the sequence of worldly empires, starting with you. Counting from you, the head of gold, you're the head of gold. And at the end, When um, he gives the vision, the meaning, to the king, the king responds. In response, the king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, and the revealer of mysteries, for you are able to reveal the secret. So he calls the God of um, Daniel the Lord of kings. Mm. Right. So immediately he recognizes that, wow, all of us kings we have a boss it seems and the boss of us is the is the god of daniel
0: yeah he and it was interesting because he also uh all of his uh sorcerers and everybody that came around he was asking them reveal the dream to me but i'm not going to tell you what the dream was right so that i thought that was interesting so daniel was the only one god was the only one to be able to show him exactly what the dream was what it meant how to break it down and uh all glory to god for that right just to show you that he is the king of kings and lord of lords you know
2: yeah exactly um god is the only one that can reveal the mystery to Him, and it, what's interesting is the word reveal is the greek word apocalypto hmm. uh, that's the verb and and the first word of the book of revelation is the revelation apokalypsis So the word apocalypto appears five, actually six times in chapter two of Daniel. So I really feel it sends the reader from the book of Revelation. When you read the first word, apocalypsis, it sends you to this chapter because when the Lord is about to ascend and go in the book of Acts, the last thing they ask him is, are you going to establish the kingdom of Israel now? Like, are you going to kick the Romans out? Declare the Messianic kingdom, kind of like Gabriel told Mary and ruled Jacob and the nations. And he says, no, it's not for you to know the times and seasons that the father has put for such things. That's the answer he gives him. He quotes Daniel. He changes times and seasons, removes kings and, and installs kings. Literally, he quotes Daniel. So even the Lord, in his last words, as he's leaving the earth, points the, the conversation here.
0: To the book of Daniel.
2: To the Book of Daniel to this chapter and the first words of the Book of Revelation pointed here. So it seems as though when he goes to the Father, the Father gives him more detail about this moment of transition between the world of empire and the Messianic Kingdom. That's what the Book of Revelation is all about. So when you look at this statue, uh, you see that there's, there's you know, four empires. Uh, I, you can even see five in there because the, la- the last one is two, two sections. The head of gold is Babylon. It's conquered by the Medo-Persians, which becomes the second empire of the statue. And Daniel is an old man. He's a teenager when he's taken to Babylon. He's an old man when the Medo-Persian empire comes. But he's there to deal with the representatives of the king of Persia. And then you have uh, the stomach of bronze, which is Alexander the Great. He comes. And, you know, um, then you have the... uh, Rome. Rome comes, so Alexander the Great comes from Macedon and he gathers the Greek tribes behind him, the Hellenistic Empire. He conquers the Persian Empire and he, stab, he becomes the new uh, world order. Then after him comes Rome and Rome takes Athens in 116 BC and Rome becomes, you know, the empire of the world. And then we go into the feet of clay, which is ten toes. And so when we kind of look at Rome and we say what happened to Rome, Well, Rome continued um, to govern in the West um, and in the East. Rome divided into two. The capital in the West was, was Rome. The capital in the East was the ancient Greek city of Byzantium. And so Constantine, the Roman emperor moves there and he makes it his capital. And in his honor, they call it Constantinopolis, which means the city of Constantine. And so Rome divides into two. Western Rome, um, falls to the rise of these Germanic and Celtic tribes. And mainly, mainly the Germanic tribes, the Visigoth. they take over Rome. And one of the institutions that survives is basically the beginnings of what is going to be the Catholic church. The Catholic church survives. And at this point, the world and the Roman ways had entered the church in the fourth century because the emperor of Rome declared himself the head of church and through the church these new rising kings actually learn how to be Roman it's like what Rome was passes to them so the first of these great Germanic kings in the eighth century Charlemagne he declares the Holy Roman Empire you know the the conversion of Charlemagne the bishop says to him burn all that you have been worshiping and worship all that you have been burning and so he, <laughs> and he invites him into this you know so he, he creates the Holy Roman Empire and some people say it was neither holy nor Roman neither <laughs> Empire like it, but it's called the Holy Roman Empire
0: I yeah I see I see when I when I, when I start researching some of the black nobility I, I keep seeing Holy Roman Empire but it's not like Roman Empire you know it's just it's it's different yeah so yeah. it's
2: you know yes yeah. Because, you know, in the passage that you read in Revelation 13, you remember that one of the heads of the dragon, and I'm going to kind of show what these heads are, they were, one of them was wounded, mm-hmm. right? So if you kind of look at the dragon has seven heads, right? And these are the two ways you can count it. So one way is God puts his hand on the character of Abraham, who becomes the father of many nations and the spiritual father of of many nations, as well as the biological father, the chosen people who receive this covenant, right? And so God's plan of redemption, because the first three chapters of the Bible, sorry, the first 11 chapters of the Bible, um, create the foundations of the fallen world. So there is the Garden of Eden incident that, you know, casts humanity out of its uh, place with God and condemns it to the depth of the soul. Then you have the story of Genesis chapter six, where the fallen angels called the sons of God um, mingle themselves with they they have children with humanity and they create hybrids. They create humans in their own image, in a way competing with God's act of creation as as part of a massive project of rebellion. Then in Chapter 11, um, after the flood, this character Nimrod, he villainizes God and says, you know, God uh, drowned our ancestors and he stopped us from receiving this knowledge from these guys who mean us well. And he gathers the world against God in pride. And then God separates the world, uh, the one family of Noah into 70 nations with different languages. And this base, this is the basis of what's called the fallen world, these three incidences. And then in chapter 12, we get the character of Abraham and God says that in him, all the families of the earth, the ones that were cast out in the previous chapter are going to be blessed. And later he says in his seed, adding that precision, they're all going to be blessed. So we could focus and say the moment God put his hand on Abraham and revealed that through him would come the redemption of the human race. That Satan focuses efforts on Abraham. So there's a battle of 10 kings that Abraham has to fight, and some of those tribes mentioned against coming against Abraham later we realize are listed among the tribes of the giants of the Nephilim, of these abominations, you know, that are hybrid offsprings. But Abraham finds his, his way eventually, or his children find their way to Egypt, and so Egypt. Kind of becomes the first empire that rises to destroy this messianic seed, you know, and this the, and, and tries to kill the firstborns. Moses survives, tries to enslave Egypt, Israel tries to weaken and destroy, it, but God redeems it through the Passover lamb and brings it to fellowship with Himself, you know. Um, and then you, the Assyrians come once they're in the land. The Assyrians come from the north and they destroy the northern tribes because Israel enters into a civil war after the death of of the third king, Solomon. And so they come from the north and they destroy the the northern tribes um, who had also gone in the direction of idol worship. And they um, have children with them by raping the woman. This was an Assyrian method of warfare, of assimilating. That's why later on when the Assyrian empire fall, falls and life goes on the Jews in the south no longer consider the ones in the north to be pure you know and that's what they call them the Samaritans in, and they, they will hmm. always have animosity between them
1: can't beat them breed them out though they would breed you out it's like they, they <laughs> yeah do it's like it's a weird it's a weird <laughs> thing that they would do but it, it's 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 a, it was a law too back in the day where there were the the the, the the town person who's taken out of the town would have to make love to the, your before her ma- you're getting married, can 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 go out and has because he gets first uh, rights to her and that's you get married to your wife you're like what the heck man that's not <laughs> it's like so, a stock tie or something like that I forgot what it's called the love lords
2: yeah <laughs> in this case they were using rape as a warfare method just like destroy this race yeah. by by you know um, assimilate them into Assyria essentially, in a real, like in a genetic way, um, make them part of the empire. And so that became the second empire. Egypt is the first that rises against, um, you know, the covenanted the, the covenanted people uh, that God has singled out for his purposes as his servants um, to carry out the plan of redemption. Then the second empire is Assyria. Then Babylon comes from the south and destroys Jerusalem and takes the captives from Judea. That becomes the third empire that takes over the covenant land, the Holy Land. Then comes the Medo-Persians. They end up being a blessing to the people of Israel and saying, go and rebuild the temple and free them from Babylon. But they continue to control that land. It's it's under the empire of the Medo-Persians. It's not under uh, the rule of Israel and her king. It's subject to them. Then the Greeks come. And then the Greeks take over, that they become so you got Egypt, one, Assyria, two, Babylon, three, Medo Persia, four, Greek, five. So the dragon has seven heads. So we're now in five. The Greeks, they're totally corrupt with philosophy and things, and out of them rises Antiochus Epiphanes, who's a type of the Antichrist, we're told, who is like the Antichrist, and Jesus talked about that him. The abomination of desolation, and he then uh, sets up a idol to Zeus in the holy of holies, and sacrifices a pig on the mercy seat, rendering the temple you know um, obsolete. You can't sacrifice on it anymore, stopping the sacrificial system that was a link to God, and extinguishing the light of the candlesticks of the menorah, which. He's in my here, um, which was a symbol of the light of God in the world. The only place where his light was shining, all the other nations worshipped the fallen angels, the gods. And actually, that's what Hanukkah means. It means rededication because they, the temple is then dedicated back to God. And that's Jesus celebrates that in um, John chapter 10. He's there celebrating this rededication of the temple. And they asked him if he's the Messiah, because there was a rebellion against the king of Greece during this period, and it, God had given it victory, and this empire had been rejected, and the light of the temple rekindled. There was a belief in the Jewish mind that maybe the Messiah was going to come during this festivity, this, this, that was now called Hanukkah, the, the dedication of the temple. And so in the New Testament, it often says that the Lord was attending the Feast of Dedication that's what he was attending and that's why they asked him are you the messiah in that passage john chapter 10 uh, verse 20 and they asked him are you the are you the messiah and he he, he makes a speech you know that he's told them that he is etc because they had this belief that during this feast the messiah would reveal himself, and so they were like if you're the messiah now is the time reveal yourself let's take on the romans they <laughs> took on the greeks you know a while back yeah so, but the, the Greeks come with philosophy and darkness. They cloud the mind, right? They don't tell you, you know. They, they don't conquer you uh, in the way the Romans will. But yes, go ahead, just. I was
1: gonna say uh, uh, when Rome when Rome conquered Greece, uh, they they conquered them physically, but but Greece conquered them morally. And at that time, there was no divorce. There was no divorces really recorded. Stuff like that was uh, was wasn't wasn't prominent, but then after that, divorce rates went spiked through the roof, and and all this uh, a lot more uh, like yeah, like a lot more idol worship and other things started to coming in, and, and it was just that started running rampant. And Greece just because they lost physically, they they just kind of basically it so
0: infiltrated Rome basically yeah, big with time. their
1: yeah, big time. it's all in their in just all in their religion, all in their everything. They they just they
2: just. The, the philosophy yep. completely the, the Greeks completely changed their own empire. Um, so, so the Romans came, as you're saying, and they took Athens and they became the sixth empire, the sixth head of the dragon. If you count it from Egypt, so that because if you count it from a time where he decides to destroy the seed of Abraham, that what God has chosen is a covenant that goes from Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob. And this this covenant that has in it the salvation of the human race, the redemption of the human race, the restoration of the human race in the cosmic order. And so you go from um, Egypt to Assyria, to Babylon, to Medo-Persia, to Greece, and to Rome, you have six. But then Rome is wounded in the head by the might of the coming of the Lord. The Lord comes. And even though under the orders of Jupiter on the, in the spiritual level, um, the emperor of Rome comes to destroy the temple of Jerusalem after the crucifixion and the resurrection of the Lord. Um, um, and it's interesting that the Romans and the Babylonians destroyed the calendar on the same day of the biblical calendar, of the Jewish calendar. On the, on the same day of the Hebrew calendar, centuries apart, two different empires happened. Through a series of unrelated events, mm. happened to have destroyed the temple on the same day, the ninth day of the month <clears throat> of Av,
0: mm.
2: so which is a day of fasting among Orthodox Jews. So basically, um, they they do this, and God's response is to send the Holy Spirit out to not only the Jewish people at Pentecost, but also starting with Cornelius to the nations. And so off it goes and the nations, as they receive the Holy Spirit of God, they're ministered to these missionaries come out of Israel and they tell the Greek world. And then, you know, as people believe they themselves become missionaries, they start to tell each other and as people's hearts open and God removes the veil of the, of division and, and of who Jesus is suddenly, all these people in the Roman empire begin to enter into fellowship with the living God whom their ancestors knew at the Tower of Babel before God separated the nations and gave them into the hand of these beings and chose Jacob for himself, before this spiritual division appeared in the world, they, they kind of you know were, were called back. So the seed of Abraham, Jesus, became a blessing to the families of the earth. As they received him and the Holy Spirit came into them, their eyes and minds opened up, the veil was removed. And they became aware of the living God and they entered into fellowship with the living God. And this changed the legal setup of of the earth because Satan and his angels had legal authority over the nations. God had given them to them. That's why he says to, to say to Jesus, Dominion over all the kingdoms of the earth has been given to me, and I will give them to whomever I will. So that dominion is so Jesus pays the price in his blood to purchase people by paying their debt. And so when people believe in him and they pledge allegiance to him as their king, they are no longer in that kingdom. So as enough Roman citizens begin to accept this bargain and turn to the God through Jesus, the entire system of the world changes and the the dominion that these beings had over the nations begins to collapse. India is one of the only places where Hinduism is very strong. One of these old ancient religions of the gods, polytheism continues to go forward. But pretty much most of the places, you know, this religion starts, to, the, the, the voice of the Holy Spirit goes out. And of course there's Islam that rises to it. but it goes out and, and, and it changes the fabric of the world. And so the Roman empire gets divided into tiny little pieces symbolized by the eagle which was the sign of Zeus, the spiritual power behind their own empire. They called him Jupiter. Like Jason was saying, they adopted all things Greek. So the head of the pantheon among Greek, Zeus becomes Jupiter yeah. to the Romans. And this, this I believe is what, you know, Satan is because the, Jesus says that the throne of Satan is in the city of Pergamum and the greatest altar to Zeus in the ancient world with sacrifices offered 24-7 from all over the empire was in the city of Pergamum. So I think Jesus is making an association between Satan, the leader of the fallen angels, and Zeus, the head of the pantheon of Gods. Yes.
1: That, that's a, it. I, I also believe sorry Josh, but that's I also uh I, I believe I believe that totally because I feel like Pergamus was when it's, it just started to marry that perverted marriage of 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 the church with with the world And like, like the devil couldn't, couldn't, couldn't breed them out. So what he did was he just said, you know what, if I can't beat him, I'm going to join him. Exactly. And, and that was the and, and how they legalized uh, a religion, not Christianity, all religion. What that did was you started to heathenize Christianity, and you started to started to screw with it. And you started to get guys, that's when you get like those uh, inquisitions and you try to force people to your religion they, 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 they don't really get saved. They don't get the message because you're forcing them to do it. And, and, and God does and God never said that. He said, he, it's your choice to, to love me. That's why the, that love is pure because you can't see me. You don't, you don't, and, and, and you have still have faith in me and you have all the, you have just unrenowned connection with me. That's what I like. But I, when you were mentioning earlier about all of the, the seven heads and all of that, like Medio persia and Babylon, I like how, how how I like in the Bible how God always uses even even if it's gentile and 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 whatever other other countries to to carry out his will and also delighting in his in his uh his promises you know he likes to keep them so if you go through there like Daniel you have Cyrus comes and and uh uh and and he has a letter <laughs> to Cyrus that, that that God wrote to him himself and, and naming his accomplishments and stuff like that it starts to prove the Bible you, 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 it's through history. So it proves the Bible more and more real more. And, and when you get into like, I I was just the other day thinking about it. I was like, man, I, I, I read this up when, cause you mentioned Magog and Gog last time we were on the show and, and Iran and Russia coming together and becoming uh, uh, an alliance and then I saw Turkey in there. And I was like, "Man, what, what what does this have to do with it?" And you start getting into it. That's where Pergamus was. Turkey is Asia Minor, so Pergamum, all those places all around there, they're all they were all in Turkey. So that's where the the main focus of all uh, uh, the churches were at that time. And and why didn't God? Why didn't Jesus choose a hundred different churches? Because there was a lot of different religions back then. He chose seven in Revelations to to really point out what's going on through the world. Because those seven churches basically flooded everything that that, that's they have a little bit of everything in 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 a lot of churches from this that those seven churches and and just just now but this gog and magog things got me thinking like man this is this is something that god has put his stamp on and and he and he has his name on that on on israel and that's that's his that's his people and and god isn't finished with israel and and right now with with russia iran and turkey but if you go back their names have changed so my question i had a question for you do you, why do you think that they changed the names of all these all these countries do you think they did it to hide the fact of this history do you think they did it to to uh uh yeah, for future people not to not to well, see it.
2: well i think that I, th- I think that the names of these countries um um are you know the names that humans give them over time but the bible takes its um, understanding of nations back to Genesis chapter 10 where it um, explains that Noah, his children and grandchildren divided into 70 families, 70 families. And these 70 families are the archetypical basis of all the nations of the earth. And so when the Bible wants to prophecy, it always references one of these 70 families. So Magog is listed in there. It's a son of japheth um and all the other nations and i'm just putting up a link of a talk that i gave on the magog and gog um uh in 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 prophecy uh you can listen to it if you want and other people can i'm putting in a chat it's um it's a good um uh overview of where those tribes E- email modern, that modern version of those tribes. Yeah. Email
0: that to me, Ali, if you can, and I'll and I'll put it in the link so that people can see it. Okay.
2: I will. I will absolutely. Okay. Uh, so, but that's a war in itself, and we we can talk about that war. Uh, just to finish, yeah. Fin- the, finish what the, you have
0: going on, so we could we could keep it going. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So the sequence of the heads of the dragon. So the dragon, you know, in, yes, he has control all, over all the nations, but he really. It reaches into seven empires, and I find that these are the seven empires that target the people of God, and the end time war that Zachariah talks about, for instance, and Joel talks about, in Revelation talk about which all the nations gather against Jerusalem. It's, it's, yes, it's against the Jews and all that, but it's ultimately against the will of God, so God has something going on, To bring the redemption of the human race and to accomplish his prophetic vision for the world and the enemy is trying to break scripture. um, By destroying Israel and so that the age of empire can carry on see so God is saying look when when you see these events happen so it's, it's it's really an attack against God and his will for the human race. It just so happens that since God has put his hand in Israel and the the prophetic vision that is given the world involves the Jewish people, this land of covenant and the city of Jerusalem. The attack against them is an attack to break the scriptures of God and to continue the age of empire so that the prophetic vision of God does not come true, God forbid, but God's word always prevails. So, so, so that's you know that's why he's targeting them because God has put His hand on them. That's why he's targeting Jerusalem because God has put His hand in Jerusalem, and and so these seven empires are the ones that target Israel and target Jerusalem. And so you've got um, the Romans are wounded, and the Lord comes and He sends the Holy Spirit, and suddenly as people wake up, and they they convert, you know, from their paganism to. The religion of Jesus, we, we, you know, Jesus is a teacher who applies the sacrificial system of the Old Testament, the prophecies of the Old Testament to himself. And he says, these were about me. So in that sense, in the, they call him Rabbi. And in that sense, in the New Testament, they call him Rabbi. So in that sense, Jesus is teaching. He, he has he's an interpreter. He has an interpretation of the Old Testament that he's teaching that applies to him. And so the pagans they they convert in a way to the Judaism of Jesus and to the monotheism they Abraham, and they receive the Holy Spirit, like the people that at Pentecost, and they become free through the Passover lamb from bondage to the gods, the way that the Jews were freed, you know, a long time ago from bondage to the gods of Egypt through the Passover lamb, whose blood they put on their door. And and they walked through that doorpost as they left the houses and entered into the resurrected life and into fellowship with the living God at Mount Sinai. And so this is the Passover land that frees everybody now. And this changes the Roman empire because as you, Jason was saying, you know, they try to kill him at first. Why? Because they accused them of no longer worshiping and sacrificing to the gods, which they understood to be the backbone of imperial power. And these citizens uh, were weakening their emperor, and that's why the the the, the converts to, to the religion of Jesus, to the teachings of Jesus, they said no. We are citizens of heaven. They had changed, uh, you know, their allegiance, and that's where the term comes from. Because the, there was a you know you were talking about the Greeks influencing the Romans. The the Rome Rome got so big as a city state, going from Mesopotamia to England. They didn't know how to make sure that that you were protected because Rome had laws that protected you. And if you went too far from the city of Rome, they were like, well, how can someone who's way over there be protected by the laws of this city? And this Greek slave um, who who came up with the idea, because the Greek slaves served as surgeons, advisors to kings, they served, they were very educated, so they served the highest level. This Greek slave said, you know, why don't we come up with this idea? we we'll call, it's called citizenship. They're like, what is that? He's like, well, no matter where you are in the world, the laws of Rome apply to you, and they protect you. So it's, we're, it's not about geography. It's about legal status. Mm-hmm. And they're like, brilliant. So he came up with the citizenship. So suddenly, the Romans were citizens, that's why Paul in the New Testament, you know, he says, I appeal to Caesar, because every Roman citizen could have his case heard from, by Caesar and 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 they're like and the roman soldier says to him i had to buy my citizenship meaning that i was a slave i worked all my life eventually i paid off my slave owner and i became a roman citizen and paul says i was born a citizen so obviously one of parents uh paul's parents was a roman citizen so he received so he was born a roman citizen but this was a big deal and so the christians said no we are citizens of heaven and they broke off the yoke with the spiritual force that was over the emperor and this suddenly began to weaken and wound this sixth empire um to the point where you know this very important teacher and bishop saint augustine he wrote the um the city of god he 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 felt that this was it that in fact jesus was through the holy spirit conquering the world as he was seeing the roman empire become you know quote unquote christianized but Like Jason was saying, the enemy countered that by coming in and infiltrating it, especially through Constantine. And uh, and even before that, even in the letters of Paul, he's already saying that there's, you know, Judaizers have come in and he's talking about, um, I I don't want you to be beguiled like Eve was beguiled in the garden because Satan can present himself as an angel of light and his ministers, his ministers of righteousness. So already there was infiltration into the movement by Satan as early as the time that the apostles were still alive. So this was, you know, this was, this is a war, you know. The two he was already,
0: like, he's already, he already jumped in the chess match right there. And he was like, all right, I want to, right, I need to get right back and counter it. Yes. He realized
2: <laughs> his mistake, you know, as Lord yeah. was resurrected. <laughs> and so he thought it was going to kill, you know, the guy to whom he made the offer. I have all the kingdoms you got Israel. You come worship me. You can keep Israel, and I'll give you the empires. Yeah, you a
1: shortcut offered him a shortcut to the side of the cross. You don't have to go. Don't bear that. <laughs> don't bear that way of the cross. is taken
2: it now, bro. It's yeah, all, exactly, but... exactly. And he's like, no. And so, so this infiltration into this movement that starts this starts to corrupt it from the inside, and then he creates counter religions to attack from the outside. But regardless. Something changes about the Roman Empire. This is effective. The spirit goes into it, and the empire gets scattered and divided into tiny little heads, all of them bearing the sign of the eagle, which is the symbol of Zeus, the prince of Greece, the, the god of, of Rome.
0: Us, us too.
2: Yes. Yes. <laughs>
0: America as well. Yeah. Same America's thing.
2: More. Yeah. So I, I heard one Messianic rabbi, he explained it this way, and I thought it was interesting. He said that uh, God told Abraham that he will bless those who bless him and curse those who will curse him. He put a protection over Abraham. And so uh, when Rome scattered the Jewish people, destroyed the temple of God and destroyed the city of Jerusalem, God did the same to Rome. It scattered it into pieces. But now the Jerusalem are united and the people are back. God will allow Rome to recollect into the final kingdom structure. I,
0: I think I mean a lot of conspiracy theorists that are non-Christian, they believe all roads lead back to Rome, you know, and that Rome is still ruling to this day, uh, because of the Jesuits, the Vatican, you know, and you know, like
2: that, you know. That's so, one of the heads. That's one of the heads of Rome. And but as you said, Romans are having many heads. The Spanish, the Portuguese,
0: which is big too, yeah. The Bourbon family with the with the Spanish, and yeah.
2: Yeah, like like the Spanish form an empire, right? I mean yeah. Christopher Columbus. So you got the the Spanish kids, then the French rise and the, under the banner of the eagle, with Napoleon. Then the British rise, and then since nineteen forty five, that scepter of Western Rome passes to the District of Colombia, which is you know a democratic system. So the Christians can weigh into it, but there's other forces pushing back. So it's a bit of a wrestling match. But that's where it goes, and then in the east. Constantinopolis carries on as the capital of Eastern Rome until 1453. So it outlives the Western Rome by a thousand years, basically, until the Ottoman armies uh, of the Islamic Turks, they come and they conquer Constantinopolis, and they change the name to Istanbul, the City of Islam. Um, so the royal family of Constantinopolis leaves and goes to Moscow. And the uh, royal family of Moscow says, okay, well, we have now become third Rome. They call themselves the third Rome. We will carry the, the flag of Christianity. Now that Constantinopolis has fallen, the princess of the house of Ro- Rome marries into the royal family of... Uh, moscow and that is when the leaders of moscow take for the first time the title of czar which is their way of saying caesar in the slavic language that's how you say caesar czar the germans say kaiser and in english we use the latin caesar we just say it the way the romans did but the germans say kaiser the slavic say czar and so the two-headed eagle of byzantium becomes a symbol of this royal family, um, Romanov. Uh, and they then passed that two-headed eagle. There was a Soviet empire, but after the fall of the Soviet empire, the Russian Federation adapts the symbol of the two-headed eagle on its flag and shield one more time. And so the eagles of Rome scatter into several heads, but all these heads continue to be in Europe and in their colonies, essentially, from Moscow you know, through Europe to DC this becomes the continuation of Rome. So if you look at, for instance, um, actually I was looking at this the other day, if I can quickly find it for you. um, So let me see. The neoclassical architecture of the capital. So if you go to, this is a US government website. It talks about the architecture of the Capitol, And I'm just going to read some of the, uh, uh, it says, since the capital in Richmond, Virginia. So Thomas Jefferson Mm -hmm. wanted Congress house in a replica of an ancient ancient Roman temple. Since the capital in Richmond, Virginia was an example of Roman cubic architecture, he thought the federal capital should be a model after a spherical temple. The U.S. Capitol's design, derived from ancient Greeks and Rome, evoked the ideals that guided the nation's founders as they framed their new republic. Uh, and it goes on. It's 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 a it's a U.S. Uh, you know gov website that talks about the architecture of the Capitol, but the fact that Thomas Jefferson was on purpose looking to design it according to a temple, you know, it was a temple to secularism, I guess. Uh, the 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 Capitol building and the whole concept of a Senate. I mean, the Romans has this, had a Senate, right? On
0: Capitol Hill as well, right? So they would actually meet on Capitol Hill. The Romans, so they met on
2: Capitoloni Hill. Yeah, ah. And and that's um, um, uh, when Jerusalem was conquered by the Romans, and then the Jews tried to rebuild the temple. And eventually, one thirty four A.D., the, the the Romans had enough of it. They they built their own Temple on top of where the Holy of Holies was to Jupiter. And they renamed the city from Jerusalem to Aelina Capitolina, the city of the Capitoline gods, the gods <laughs> of the capital from where you know, Rome was ruling <laughs> crazy. and then they, they renamed it from Judea, to, they named it Palestina. That's when they made the change. They wanted to send a message to Jews. It's done. Stop rebelling. We build a temple on the holy, uh, on the temple Mount, we, we rename the city. We've conquered it. It's done. You, get, you know, go away. That was kind of their message. And so, this whole thing um, comes back. So, in that sense, you could say that. You know, I had a, I, I want, I took a Roman history course in university. It was really fun, and the professor who was very famous in the world of Roman history, he used to say that in all of history, in the past 2000 years, there's never been a nation that is as close to the Romans as our Yankee friends, the South. So for him, there was something very Roman about about the Yankee Republic. And so uh, uh, this is not the only influence, you know, the Puritans uh, had their say in and continue to have their say in the fabric of American culture. it kind of became the bastion of Protestant Christianity. At the same time, there's this dragon wrestling for the heart of America. And so it finds its way perhaps to the Masons, to Lord Bacon and all of They had this ah, vision yeah. of building something here in the new world. And it's kind of secluded, right? It's got two oceans and it's got the North Pole. And no one in this continent can compete with it. There, all the heads are next to each other. You know, London, Paris, Berlin, Moscow. They're like very close to each other yeah
0: that's yeah like the the uh the episode that we did on america it's crazy because you know they have the the osiris you know they got the washington monument they got the the belly of the beast like it's kind of like isis you know so when they do their the presidents, whenever they do their inauguration, like, um you know, in, in Egypt, they used to, like, put him inside that belly like that so that they can try to get Osiris to go into the next pharaoh, right? So they wanted to make him a godly leader. So I think they just keep trying it with each president. I mean, I, I think even if you take it to, like, Tom Horn, they might be trying to come up with the next Antichrist or they're trying to put Osiris in the next president and finding out if it works. And they... And if you go down the lines of each president, obviously you find out the bloodlines, a lot of them are actually related, you know, and and then they threw Obama and then they're trying to have it happen on him. And then they put like another, they keep on trying to do this, you know, and I think it's interesting. I know you take it, you know, he's taking it down that, that conspiracy path, but I mean, man, it it all kind of makes sense, you know, and, and like you said, all these, all these different, um, uh you know all these different nations that you're 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 talking about they all have like the Nimrod, Simmeramis, Tammuz. And then you got like Osiris, Isis and Horus and you got like Zeus, Hera and Apollo. And then you got Azura Mazda uh uh Arani Ar- and Atar. Have,
2: have you ever seen that statue of George Washington as Zeus?
0: Yes. And, and I mean, there's a lot of different things that we went over. I, I, I was going to pull up those notes, but I just thought it was interesting that all those nations that you, you were mentioning, you know, with like Egypt, they all have that same thing you were talking about where, where Satan wants to be like God. So he, he, yeah. he ends up being like that, uh, you know, that Osiris or that, um, or that Zeus or that, um, or a Mazda or that Jupiter, you know, or, you know, so I think it's, it's just interesting how they, st- and then also if you look at the Roman Catholic church, they also have like God, and then they have Mary, then they have Jesus, right? I think it's even, that pattern is still going to that day through that, you know? Yeah, uh, the,
2: the queen of heaven, an ancient fallen angel. Yes. this is What you're describing for me is mystery Babylon. Yeah. It's this, there's this counterfeit religion that comes out of Babylon and fills the earth. So if you kind of look at these prophecies in the book of Revelation, with all the heads and dragons and the woman rides the beast and stuff, from a 30,000 feet altitude because since we're talking about empires in history we do have to go that far high then it becomes really clear and simple in some ways so there has been six empires that have risen against the holy land and against the people that got chose and out of which the messiah came to destroy them and then god came with his son and sent his holy spirit and wounded the sixth empire but, he, but the prophecy says that at the end, there will be one last empire that he will allow. Rome will reunite. The heads of Rome will reunite. And that's when we get into the feet of the statue that has 10 toes. So out of this fourth you know, beast, 10 horns come. And here in the book of Revelation, the seven heads have 10 horns. So it's kings and kingdoms. So the horns are like military might and kings, and the heads are like kingdoms, right? And so you've got um, the final uh, uh, government that the prophecy is focused on on the way to the messianic utopia of the prophets of Israel, the vision that they have, that we're headed towards this utopia. On the way to that utopia, a force rises at the end to stop this from happening. And and this is what suddenly the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation are also focused on revealing to us because we may need this knowledge to go through it if we're going to go through it. Because uh, it can be pretty daunting and scary and confusing because it's going to be filled with massive amounts of deception. And God is going ahead of us and First of all, the whole thing is in my hands. I have seen the end from the beginning. It's under my control because I am the king of the kings of the earth. I decide the timing of empires and a change of seasons. And I have already declared judgment and defeat over it. So all I want is your heart and mind. I want your allegiance. I want to give you a place in my kingdom and, and a blessed future. And so God is, is not here to scare us or even to talk about geopolitics. He's still talking about the plan of redemption and how this empire rises to thwart it by destroying prophecy, by putting their own king up in Jerusalem. So let's talk about this final empire. Um, it has 10 leaders, it seems. And it's interesting because it says in the context of these 10, it says, and where you saw iron mixed with clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men. But they shall not adhere one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. So this is Daniel chapter two, verse 43. And I'm reading the King James version because it has this accurate translation in this case, which is the masculine plural pronoun they is used. They will mingle their seed with the seed of man but I shall not adhere and the Lord said that the second coming when they asked him about the end of this age in Matthew like the
0: days of Noah
2: right the days of Noah. <clears throat> yeah so if you people watch the documentary I made in 2006 UFOs Angels and Gods the second half we documented um the rise of the modern day Nephilim phenomena or the creation of modern day hybrids which was at the heart of the UFO phenomenon and connected that to this event that's happened since the days of Noah all the way to throughout history um, at different times. And, you know, the story of Goliath and the, the kings that the uh, children of Jacob had to slay as they entered the land, the giants, the Anakim, the Zanzamim, the Raphaim, um, Og, the King of Bashan, Sihon, all these guys, there's, there's giants on the land as well. And there's going to be a resurgence in the end times, because the Lord said it would be like the days of Noah, Mm -hmm. the days of Noah were the days of the sons of God. And so when you read the book of revelation with the four angels that are in the river Euphrates that are, you know, the river uh, is holding them back. It says they're, they're, they're under the Euphrates. This goes back to the days before the flood where they were chained and bound and they're going to be freed. Or you look at, for instance, another passage that talks about this, you know, from this pit comes, this uh, demons and fallen angels arise from this pit. So there is more and more, the book of Revelation will take our attention, that this final confrontation is a purging of the earth of the rule of the fallen angels, their hybrid offsprings, and the demonic spirits of the fallen angels that were in their sons during the flood, where the human bodies were killed and destroyed because God put the spirit of mutual destruction in their hearts. It's in the Book of Enoch, quoted by Jude. But their spirits were allowed to roam the Earth. And that's how we have evil demons. Yeah. demons. All of these things are going to be purged in the story of the apocalypse. We are also looking back to Exodus and how there was the gods of Egypt, which are a type of fallen angels, the Pharaoh, which is a representative of the Antichrist, like he's a type of the Antichrist, represents the gods. And the people of God, which is us, and the Passover lamb and Moses, the, the deliverer, this is the kingdom of God and him and his angels returning. So it's a rescue mission. We are being delivered. It, the, 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 the wedding is being consummated. You know, there was an engagement that was done in the new, in the first, uh, the wedding, the, the, the vows were spoken and two people were betrothed together. But now he went and prepared a place for us and is coming to get us so we can all go live together. And this is the consummation of the wedding. And so so we we play this role of the beloved who's rescued from the hand of these beings. And that's why I see the UFO phenomenon as the evidence of this angelic presence and how the war of angels is taking shape before our eyes. And because it's happening in our time where the world of heaven and earth are colliding, and this purging of Earth is happening. We are the first generation who's really seeing it in the clothing that it's supposed to happen in, where the veil is being removed. We are really seeing it the way this thing is going to go down. Um, so this this dragon that gives his power to the final you know uh, beast, um, this false prophet that that vows you know that, that says yes, this guy's got it. And he gets the people to worship. So let's, let's look at the empire that may arise. So we are, we are looking now on the stage of history for 10 kings. And after we are told that they will mingle their seed with the seed of man, in the very next verse, we are told, and in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. So, <laughs> so could it be, that the ten kings, represented by the ten toes in the statue of the king Nebuchadnezzar, represented by the ten horns in the visions of Daniel himself and in the, in the visions of John in the book of Revelation, Is, could it be that these ten are actually born of the commingling of these seeds? It's possible because when you go back to history, you see that there were Nephilim kings over us. Gilgamesh, a very famous king of Uruk, um, well-documented. The first great king of Western civilization from the island of Crete, King Minos, a son of Zeus. Even Alexander the Great was supposed to be you know, partly the son of Zeus and partly of a woman, yeah. the wife of Philip of Macedon. And so there is this you know, um, warriors uh, that were uh, belonged to many tribes uh, in the Middle East. We have lots of writing about them, that the people in the Middle East would hire these giants as champions in order to bring the balance of power on their side. So we see, for instance, Goliath who was, and his four brothers who were hired by the Philistines as mercenaries and champions. And, you know, the, this, they also continued to have relations with humans so the bloodline of humanity was corrupted by this that the, they were kings over us. The Heracles, the one of the four tribes that makes up the Greeks, they were famous for having this line of kings through them that went back to Hercules. And so there, there, there is this infiltration of, of line of kings and uh, humans in general. There are warriors among so, us. like
1: the, yeah, the Scythians.
2: It, that, yeah. I was I was yeah the Scythians were were there's a story
1: that they were from uh from Hercules and and from uh I think there was a three I think he had three brothers something like that and it's the just, Spartans uh no the Scythians I was I oh, was the uh, yeah they're, they're 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 that's where that's where I was I was learning where were Gog and Magog and all this stuff and and, and uh how they how they are they're really nomadic and they were very good warriors with bows and arrows and they tamed horses and and they, they're the first known people to tame horses so that's 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 uh that's that's crazy to me because uh it changed the world yeah it mm-hmm. changed the world big time you now you have now you have chariots now you have stuff like that stuff that you can move stuff now you, you could uh, you could carry more things you could, you could fight better battle more battles and and
2: uh and the amorites they're mentioned as one of the lines of the nephilim's uh, in in the book of genesis And their king, Hammurabi, takes over Babylon and creates the Amorite kingdom. So they they had a lot of sway in the world. So the idea that one more time we could see the rise of these bloodlines. And if you look at the parable of wheat and tares, it says that God planted his seed in the garden. And while he was sleeping, whatever that means, maybe it was the Sabbath day, the devil came and planted his seed in the garden. And now we have this idea that God says to Satan, I will put enmity between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. So, so this, this idea that the, the terrors are among us till the end of the age, uh, that, we, that the infiltration of the human genome is vast, that's why we need the resurrected body. The idea that, that the seed of the serpent has enmity you know, with us and has had this manifestation that the Bible expands starting with Genesis chapter six, that the sons of God entered the daughters of, of Adam, first with the line of Cain and then Abel, and they started to have children with us. And these children became kings before the flood. There were great kings and kingdoms that God submerged underwater, the water and continued after the flood, but in a different way. But they did form empires under them and Satan was giving his rule to specific people throughout the ages. So when you kind of bring this into the story that these ten kings mentioned in the book of Daniel, born of the you know of this commingling of seeds, these ten toes, it's possible to think that one more time we are going to have these bloodlines over us, these hybrids over us, and then the Bible focuses on an eleventh king, uh, and it even someplace calls it like an eight, a, an eighth kingdom. So you've got the seven kingdoms, and then there's like an eighth one. It's different. And this is the little horn. This is this character, this boastful character, the one that we call the final antichrist, the son of perdition, the man of sin. He's got the Assyrian. He's got many different titles. He rises, and he rises out of the final empire, Rome. So I see the coalition of kings coming from the houses of the eagles, Moscow through Europe to D.C., This is the 10 kings are going to come from here. The more ancient empires of the statue, um, the the Greek world outside of Athens is now the Sunni Islamic world, Egypt, Syria, Iraq, you know, that's the ancient uh, land of Mesopotamia where the head of gold was, and the Medo-Persians, Iran. So all of these, this part of the world, the Islamic world, has pledged allegiance either to Moscow or DC in its political alliances in the imperial system. So Saudi Arabia is uh, uh, connected to America. Uh, Iran is right now connecting itself to Russia. So if the kings of Rome form a coalition and they then connect to the ancient empires, then these 10 toes rule the entire statue see the statue not just a sequence of empires that existed long ago in time, but actually someone who's building a strong structure. Each empire clicks into the next and fortifies it. And God has allowed these different scepters of rule to have. So the last scepter of rule, the Medo-Persian, controls all of the ancient empires. Then the Greek and Roman come on top of it, and that's how the world is designed today the eagles of the West continue to dominate the ancient empires of the Middle East. The last one was the Medo-Persians. So under the Islamic Republic, Iran has reached out to reconquer the lands it had in the time of Cyrus, from Turkey and Egypt all the way to to Iran. So it's kind of put out its influence in that ancient uh, grid, the landscape of the biblical empire that it once had because something that God allowed continues to still exist. Mesopotamia was given to Persia. And right now, Iran basically has taken over Iraq. So something that God never nullified this. He just said, now the Greeks will dominate. And then he said, the Romans will dominate. And so the the final empire continues to dominate, but the other ones are still there. And that's why we see in, um, the the prophetic writings of the Bible, that the final beast is a composite animal. It has the body of a leopard, you know, the head of a lion, the feet of a bear, which are these very kingdoms of the statue seen in the vision of Daniel's own mind, because Daniel sees the beastly nature, while the king of Babylon sees the glorious nature of these empires, you know, from his view. So, so we get kind of the inner spirit and the outer perspective. And so the composite shows us that the final empire is going to click into the older ones, but it's going to be dominated by the egos of Rome as the heads of Rome come together again. To get us there, I think we will need um, a change. Basically, since 9-11, America got involved in all the wars in the Middle East that Empty the treasury, you know, prolonged warfare empties the treasuries. And then we have social divisions of worldview within the country itself. um, That weakens in a way the country and we have competitors in the form of Russia, the Eastern Rome and China rising to challenge, you know, American power on the world stage. And these are usually the hallmarks of the end of a world order that we saw it with the Dutch. We saw it with the British, the Mm -hmm. same patterns, you know, come to the forefront each time the world order is about to change. So if if there's a if there's an economic collapse, whether by design or uh, by, you know, bad policy, um, for instance, if let's say the Federal Reserve makes a policy mistake, you know, allowing too much money into the system, but then not correctly, you know, dealing with the outcome of that. And there's a global economic collapse because we see right now, Sri, Sri Lanka has gone down, but so have uh, 69 other countries in the, in the emerging economies on the verge of economic collapse, because um, they can't afford gas. Um, oil has to be bought with US dollars. and um, because interest rates have gone up the US dollar has strengthened as a safe haven and has become very expensive for these guys to convert their money into American dollars and then buy oil and so that's hindering their economy and then they also owe a lot of money to the states through the international Monetary Fund which is the world bank that takes money from you know a richer countries and distributes it to poorer countries to keep the world economy functioning, these bankers, but as the Federal Reserve raises interest rates, the money that these guys owe has to be paid back with high interest. And these two things, the rising dollar and the interest on it, are collapsing the economies of 70 nations. That's what the uh, World Bank is reporting. And so Sri Lanka they're saying might be the first of a series of nations. So so basically Jerome Powell is, is Destroying uh, the world economy in that sense, and if he makes mistakes that that cost America its economy, then what we might see is is kind of a weakening um, of this particular head, requiring more of a coalition. Um, so by two thousand and thirty, if if you know th- these are just a lot of ifs, but if there's um, incorrect economic policy, if the Magog invasion, you know, does take place in the Middle East and wars, we could possibly enter into another Great Depression, Um, kind of completing this economic cycle, because there's this very long economic cycle called the long debt cycle, which is calculated every 75 to 100 years. And so going back to
0: 1929... That was... yeah, that's,
2: right. we might reach the apex of it in 2029. And so when you reach the apex of the long debt cycle, which is let's say a hundred day cycle, hundred year cycle from 1929, the next economic cycle is called deleveraging, which is basically the lost decade, a great depression. So we would now complete the super cycle between the two great depressions. And that economic unrest in the Western world would give rise to the need for strong leaders. People would want strong leaders to rise and pull them out of all of that. So we could see possibly the 10 Kings come to power in the 30s, in the 2030s. And the Antichrist would come close to the end of it. Now, if this is true, and again, this is just pure speculation. What is not speculation is what the Bible says, which there's going to be 10 Kings and then... The Antichrist will rise out of them, and you know, he'll destroy three of them, or put down three of them. There'll be seven left, and he'll be the eighth one, right? Kind of like the seven heads, and he's for a moment, for about three and a half years, you know, he becomes the eighth kingdom. Um, they, all the all the other leaders give him his allegiance. He even rebels against the religion of, of Babylon that has fueled the seven empires. He even destroys that. And and brings in his own cult. Uh, it's gonna be very interesting because all of these empires they always have an ideological mindset that precedes them. There's going to be some sort of a religion, and this whole religion of science and how the scientists have become the new priests, um, the, the they're gonna tell save us from the environment and and diseases and then the economic collapses. And, you know, this is going to be combined, I think, with the religion of UFOs because the fallen angels are presenting themselves as modern day gods. This false prophet, you know, he brings fire from heaven and what does the dragon breathe fire? And what did the prophets of Baal not deliver at the time where Elijah challenged them fire. But this time, fire, this guy calls upon fire to come from the sky. And it says that this final war leader is going to do lying signs and wonders. So the dragon gives him this power. And I think he may very well make a UFO connection. If the false prophet rises, you know, before people used to think that the false prophet will rise out of the Vatican, like at the time of the Protestant Reformation, which is still possible. Um, But it's also possible that the false prophet rises out of the Muslim world. And that's how the Islamists agree to pledge allegiance to this Roman leader because this false prophet points them and says, this Roman leader um, is the dude that, you know, I want you guys to uh, adhere to, not because they believe that, that Islam has to follow Rome, but because they believe, he will do the military work. He will, you know, destroy the Jews. He will take Jerusalem, and then he will bring the world to Islam. That's that will be their, you know, perspective, right? So that's possible that he rises out of that world, bringing the two um, major parts of the statue. The first part of the statue is now the Islamic world. The second part is the Western world. Mm. Bringing the two parts of the statue together, if the false prophet rises from one part. And the Antichrist from the other. Um, so, so we could see this final empire going, you know, as China, China right now has huge economic issues. It's not going to recover anytime soon. Basically China is out right now for at least the next 10 years, it's out. It has reached that apex and these economic cycles are very funny. Um, you know, when And Jesus said you can worship God or Manon, which was the God of money. Yeah. And, you know, the Lord revealed to us that the fallen angels uh, were wearing the mask of these gods in the late 1990s, early two thousand, which led to the making of that documentary. Um, I I reread that passage and went, wait a second, because a lot of translators just say translated as money. You know, you can worship God or money. But in the Greek, he uses the name of the God of money and I thought maybe the lord is removing the veil of secrecy and pointing to the principality to the fallen angel who is behind the economic system of the world he's literally pointing him out to us and so it's possible that this economic system and these you know debt and credit cycles that that we live under are in fact designed and so these guys have put into motion a system that has massive volatility and strengths and weaknesses that they can exploit if God allows them the timing, you know, and
0: and people and people it's crazy because people that are like worshiping the God of money, they all day long, they're either happy or sad or happy or sad, depending on what that thing is doing. So, you know, you can worship God, which we worship, or you can worship, you know, money or God of money. And literally they sit there all day on the computer and just, that's their God. Literally that's their God. And and I, of course I, I, of course it was it, it, it of course take it was it made away like that, and it
2: emotionally yeah. deserves you you know making a living or, or, or making investments that's all fine but as long as it doesn't take precedence over God <laughs> yeah and, and it doesn't take away your your peace you know and the, you, you love God first and god but you're working it.
1: for it every day you're working for that god of money you're working for <laughs> that system because it was made that way to keep you to keep humans and people not exactly. striving for that, that for God, they strive for money to keep the economic system going to keep and they don't even know it. Or like slaves. <laughs> yes, they're in that. They're, oh my God, I gotta make my rent. I gotta make a car payment. Well, how am I gonna eat? How much you take your reliance off of God when He says rely on me, like the birds don't worry about that, the bees don't worry about that, the bears, the, the dog, anything in this world doesn't worry about making its next meal. They already know that God is gonna provide it for them. And what we did is we went totally off track of that (laughs) like you said jupiter saturn mars all these things uh march our 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 calendar all this stuff is all giving christmas uh valentine's day all this stuff is giving homage to god uh, to different gods and you're doing it and you're teaching your kids to do it and they're teaching Uh their kids to do it and you're constantly keeping that 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 spiritual fornication and all the other things going on and god's like you know what about me? You're, 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 you're not giving the first to me. Like n- not many people just wake up and go, Oh, I got to give my 10% to God. You know? Yeah. And that's what, that's what, that's already God's. If you woke up and said, you know what, I'm gonna give God 50%, you know, and watch your blessings overflow, but, but not
0: even just money, either your time, you yes. know what I mean? Well, like yeah,
1: you tithe everything yeah. like that and, and, and yeah. you tithe all that stuff. We're, We're- well, come on, no people don't do that no more. They're, they're, that's why when you when when the world has to take over, people are gonna be like, Well, how am I gonna eat? How am I gonna how am I gonna you know get this and you know that that and people yeah, are,
2: the, the Greeks conquered through philosophy and darkened the mind?
1: Yeah, they took away that, that reliance of God and of, of knowing, hey, you know, tomorrow I'm gonna go and hunt. And then I'm gonna gather. I'm gonna go get water, and I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna, and, and that's you start getting closer to God because you're out there understanding that. Oh my gosh, I prayed about this and it came. You yes. know, I and, and and I and I'm understanding that 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 yes, spiritual people will start to hear this because when they start seeing this stuff like prophecy come through, that's why prophecy is awesome because they go, oh my gosh, the Bible is real. They're, they're naming God is naming these 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 countries by perfect name, all the way down the line. And they're all doing it right now. They're all coming together right now for a, like you said, for a final- Empire. A final empire, that one world government, with one world laws, one world economic system. Everybody's gonna be on the same thing.
2: Yeah, if if these countries in in this modern Rome taps into the ancient empires in the Middle East and takes control and forms a coalition, then the kings of the East, the Indians, the Chinese, the Japanese and all the other kings of the east they cannot compete with this this will be the most powerful thing that's ever been since rome and out of this it turns into a spiritual cult an anti-spiritual cult but to your point jason the final this rome what distinguishes from greece so greece clouded the mind by attacking through philosophy rome brought materialism and that's how it holds people down through materialism and then the consumer culture that was you know, promoted by the Madison Avenue advertising uh, geniuses. And, and they kind of trapped us in this like, okay, what's the next thing that I need to buy? And even if I have to go into slavery into debt to buy it, I will. And this is crazy because this is how we're being controlled through debt, right? So we want to make sure that going to this next le- section of history, You want to be as debt free as possible. That's very important. And then God will lead you to your daily bread and to what he wants. Even the Pharaoh of Egypt received a dream, which was essentially financial advice that Joseph gave him, you know, store for seven years and then sell it in the days of famine. So God helped save and rescue the messianic line of Jesus and the Jewish people but yet he also gave financial advice. So God can lead us through these, but the point is our heart is set on the kingdom of heaven. And from there comes what we need, whatever it's going to be. We're not, you know, focusing on running after the mighty dollar. So that's kind of like, there's a different perspective. Great,
0: great. It's a great ending to this, you know, that was a great ending to this. So yeah, we're we're coming up on an hour and a half. So I think that was everything wrapped up pretty good. Uh, I just want to let the audience know that, even if every fallen angel, demon, and Satan all combined, they're still going to be a pebble compared to, you know, God would be like Mount Everest to their power. So we know that God wins in the end. Everybody that's listening, uh, the time is now, you know, it's time to get saved. It's time to do a 180 and about face, change your life. Okay. That way you're on the side of God, the winning side, instead of Satan, you know, you see Satan's uh, chess match. He's trying to play. Well, you know, God wins in the end. So everything that Ali is talking about is, is it's biblical. Uh, some of it, he, whatever he was, uh, you know, saying that he felt was his his thoughts, he was saying that, but a lot of it is biblical, you know? So uh, I appreciate you coming on, Ali. Do you, do you feel like you kind of wrapped everything up
2: pretty good? Yeah, yeah. If people want to see the last stage of history when the age of empire transitions into the messianic kingdom, read Zachariah chapter 14, the whole chapter. It'll give you a nice vision. And if you want to hear more about the teachings on prophecy and things like that that I have, you can go to my Patreon account and sign up. And, and I'm doing a verse, a chapter by chapter study of the Book of Revelation. It's Patreon.com/thinkinginproductions, and you can go to my website, thinkinginproductions.com. Watch the documentary for free: UFOs, Angels, and Gods. If you want to leave a donation at the bottom of the page, you can. You can also sign up for the newsletter. It says stay informed. You put your email in, and you receive all of our emails. Um, and if you double click on the documentary, it'll take you to my YouTube page with a few more videos that you can watch so that, uh, you can email me with questions or comments if you wish.
0: Perfect. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you so much. Uh, we will going to end this in prayer. So Father God, in the name of Jesus, we know that everything you say in the Bible is prophetic and it's going to happen. We rely on you 100% rely on your word, Lord. We appreciate you giving these uh, us uh, a vision of what's going to happen in the future. We ask, Lord, that you please put a legion of angels around us to protect us as we're, uh, you know, coming out with this information. And as you're revealing the information to us, Lord, uh, please give us a legion of angels to protect us uh, from everything that we are releasing. Um, I want to pray for Ali, uh, pray for his uh, Think Again productions, you know, help people to go and see his videos and videos. And, um, you know, help that, uh, help his ministry, help his ministry out, Lord, and also help our ministry out, Lord, too, please. Um, not financially, but, you know, just help us to get to as many people that, that needs to hear it, Lord. Thank you so much. We appreciate everything you do for us in Jesus name. Amen. Amen.
1: Amen.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much, Ali. And, uh, we'll have you on again. Maybe I can have a show with you and, uh, Gary Wayne. Uh, I, I have Gary Wayne. He's, he's ready to go pretty soon here. So, uh, maybe I could set you guys up, Uh, I don't know if you could do a morning show like this, but we'll find out what time and and we'll get it all together. Thank you, Ali. Everybody that's listening, please subscribe, hit that uh, like button and also comment below and also hit the bell so that you're notified of the next show that's coming up. God bless you guys.